Good morning, it's Friday the 12th of May and this is the Climate Alarm Clock. For this week's headlines, Ireland's biggest climate polluters are revealed and does whale poo have value in storing carbon? Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Anna Pringle. Unfortunately, Dara is not well this week, so we hope you get better soon, Dara. Um, but I am joined by the resilient Kira Daly, as always. Hi, Kira. <laughs> I'm also sick, but I turned up because I care about the planet. <laughs> Just hang on for the next half an hour, Kira. Okay. Um, and we're also delighted to welcome back Tom Spencer, who has is a regular on the show now. Um, and Tom is back with us, fresh from the Greenwashing Awards that he launched last week. Good morning, Tom. Welcome, Tom. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Good. And you survived your awards. You're still here. Just about. Just about so far, yeah. <laughs> Good. Good stuff. So just a reminder to listeners, if you like the podcast and you would like to support it, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash the climate alarm. And I have to say that I think we get more of a kick out of the nice comments that we get on there than anything else. So this week we had Marika, who commented that I'm so grateful for your super podcast. It's the best place for me to keep up with Irish and worldwide climate news. Thank you so much, Marika. That's so nice to hear that. And then we had John, who said, keep up the great work in advocating for some bloody action, please, already. So John sounds like, um, I'm man adding John. the tone there, but John sounds like <laughs> a man after our own heart. <laughs> um, so thanks again for that. We really do love to get the feedback because sometimes you feel like you're talking into the void. I'm still amazed that <laughs> people are <laughs> riding on this every week. I'm waiting for the week where we're like, oh, no one wants us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be the comment next week. We don't want you anymore. <laughs> Get lost, climate weirdos. <laughs> okay, with that, on to our news for the week. And our first story is about Ireland's biggest climate polluters. So, Tom, I think you're going to take us through this one. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great piece from um, Carolina Doherty in The Independent. So I think we often hear about these massive corporations that are global corporations that are doing huge climate harm. But this is very specifically about homegrown polluters. So it talks about 100 factories, power plants and airlines that emitted 25 tonnes of CO2 in 2022. That's a huge amount of CO2. Everything else that we produced in Ireland amounted to uh, around 45 million tonnes on top of that. Okay. So we're talking about the likes of Ryanair, ESB, Irish Cement, Aer Lingus. These are Irish companies that are doing a huge amount of harm. And sort of put it into context, um, Ryanair's emissions alone were equivalent to about 750,000 Irish people's um, carbon footprint. And um, to put it into even more context... Uganda emitted about 5.78 million tonnes of CO2 in 2021. So Ryanair last year emitted almost twice as much as a whole nation. So wow. pretty shocking story. And it really shows actually, you know, we think about these multinational corporations that come into Ireland as big emitters, but we have huge emitters here at home. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, I mean, and to be fair, though, the... I mean, the reason those companies are big emitters is because they are providing services that are essential in some cases, not in all cases. But, for example, ESB is one of the big ones, um, Bordnemona. I mean, you know, we, we, ha we have to have electricity, we have to have ESB and, you know, so, and they're working hard to reduce their emissions. Um, but 
places like Money Point are a big part of that, aren't they? The coal, the coal burning generation in Money Point is a big part of that for ESB. It's interesting because it's it, the way they've almost been found out is the emission trading system. So this is is showing us just how much they're they're polluting and how much they're trying to sort of effectively offset. So the the emissions trading system offsets around about four percent of Ireland's annual emissions. It's really interesting because it it is drawing out that you know there is there is this huge amount of emissions, but I think it also points out what what can we do about it? Nothing is really being done to tackle these to tackle these companies and their emissions. So that's kind of the point of this list. It's not just to bring our attention to it, but it's kind of to, or is it? It's kind of to bring our attention to the fact that nothing's really being done to bring these emissions down. Well, no, the list is generated by the um, emissions trading system. So that's transparent and it's just a way of finding out who the biggest climate polluters are. And fair play to Caroline O'Doherty, who does great work and has has gone and just looked at that. Um, So it just gives you a flavour for it. Now, they're not... I mean, that's a hundred, as, as Tom said, a hundred organizations that are generating so much. And if you think about it, if that hundred companies effectively reduced their emissions, it would make a huge difference. And I think that's the point. But the other point, though, that's also covered in the article is because so many of them are providing essential services and products, it's not that easy, you know. So there's a lot of jobs in those companies. There's a lot of tax revenue for the government. So it's a balancing act of how do you provide those services while still while while reducing emissions. So that's not. I mean, it's it's not an easy challenge. It's not as easy as saying to all those companies stop. Yeah. I think there's an interesting climate justice angle to it as well, which is, you know, we're still at that point where we're told you and I need to act more, we need to be better, which we do, we absolutely do. But, you know, Irish Cement is a really good example. It's the third biggest emitter on the list. Um, There's a huge march, I I live near Limerick, there's a huge march with thousands of us that went out onto the streets and said, we don't want them to burn medical waste or tyres or other huge pollutants. Um, The Irish EPA charged €126 per person to put in a complaint about this. What? And... Yeah, yeah. And they produced 1.7 million tonnes of CO2 last year. So so the problem is that I, I feel like we still have this aspect where you and I are being held more accountable than these companies. And you're right, Anna, we need this. We need a good transition where we're maintaining jobs. But um, I think it shows also how little action's actually been taken against these corporations. The government seemingly is still going for the easy win, which is making you and I act and, and not really holding those who are more, most accountable. I yeah, well, need to go back on what you've just said, Tom. The EPA, the <laughs> Environmental Protection Agency, are charging people to complain. Yeah, yeah. So it, um, at the time it was 126 euro. I don't know if it's changed since then. But each time it's effectively an admin or a processing fee. Um, I found that pretty shocking at the time because it's a huge barrier to justice. And yeah, absolutely, you know, yeah. In the middle Even of a cost Vodafone of living crisis. provide better services than that. <laughs> And they are useless. That is, I uh, like. I think that's insane. Surely yeah. that should be illegal. <laughs> well, I mean, they would argue that they don't want people taking frivolous complaints and so on. Um, okay. But you know, I agree. It's not. It's not democratic. And there's actually new laws that have ma- are making it more difficult for people to challenge planning decisions, and so on. So yeah. So it's it's 
It's not democratic, I would say. Um, but I mean, the, the slightly good news is that um, those companies, their emissions have fallen by a whopping 4% in the last year under the ETS. But the other good news is that the EU, the ETS has a target of, they call it fit for 55. They have a target of a 55% reduction. Um, so that is going to be putting, the pressure is starting to mount on those companies to reduce their emissions. Um, I think the Ryanair one is particularly interesting because we've talked about flying before. Um, we're an island. We need to have connectivity, etc. But you know, Ryanair is in the business of promoting cheap flights and expanding how many people are flying with them, and there is no good story there from a carbon emissions point of view. Well, in fact, this week they've announced their biggest ever order of brand new fossil fuel jets, which is oh. really locking us into like another few decades of huge emissions. Yeah, it, it, It's such an interesting area for greenwashing because we never have the conversation about reducing flying or yeah. stopping flying. Or, you know, as we saw Scripple recently has, uh, is looking to ban private jets, which is a huge carbon saving what we end up with is this discussion about sustainable aviation fuels and maybe hydrogen. I had, I had a quick look sky. into this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a look into this. I thought uh, I've got some stats that hopefully aren't going to be too much of an overload, but I, I thought it'd be interesting to put these sustainable aviation fuels into the context that they really aren't sustainable. So um, to produce as much aviation biofuel as the UK already uses, you would need to use half 50% of the UK's agricultural land well, to produce wow. just aviation biofuels. And the UK aviation industry is accounting for 8%. Now, we've got the typical thing, which is there is no data for Ireland. So it's really, we're in that sort of vacuum where we can't say what it would, you know, how it would apply to us. But the UK, the UK is importing 432 million litres of cooking fuel from China each year to make biofuels. Because the cooking fuel waste that they have in the UK would account for just 0.3 to 0.6% of the annual jet fuel needs. Wow. So this sustainable, this idea of sustainable aviation fuel is going to jeopardise food stocks. It's going to jeopardise other aspects of biofuel that might be more needed in other areas to support a transition. And then when we talk about hydrogen as well, which is the other thing that often comes up in this aviation conversation, don't worry, we'll convert these new Ryanair jets to run as hydrogen. Less than 1% of hydrogen produced worldwide is green hydrogen, which means produced solely using renewable energy. So when people are touting hydrogen as a, as a replacement fuel, what they're really doing is touting fossil fuels as a replacement. Yeah, because um, and even green hydrogen is produced by by renewable energy, but it actually is much less efficient than just using the renewable energy for electricity. Absolutely. It's it's effectively the same as we see with beef. You're, you're putting yep. a huge amount of input into this trophic system to get a small amount of output. Um, yep. Yeah. And it is noticeable <laughs> that some of our dairy producers are on that list as well. Glanbia and Dairy Gold are in that top 100. Um, so how does this, I mean, how many of those on that list, Tom, featured in your Greenwashing Awards? Hmm. Well, I know actually, Ryanair surprisingly, did. Surprisingly few, actually. Ryanair certainly did, um, especially in relation to also how they're picked up in the media because often yep. the media you know, promotes the idea of 50 new flights from Ryanair this year. What a great idea. <laughs> and we never really have the context of missions. Surprisingly few, actually. Those that are on the list, 
either do a very good job of running under the radar, so someone like Irish Cement, they just mm-hmm. get on with their yep. job. Or a company like Ryanair is quite bold about saying, well, we're a huge emitter, so what What are we going to do about it? Yep. Or they say things like, these new aircraft that we're purchasing are 20% it's be more fuel more efficient. Fuel efficient. Yeah, but they're also Without talking to- about expanding at the same time yeah so they're more well, efficient, they, yeah because they're also saying we need to have way more passengers to pay for them but for the first time i think this week i saw rte i think it was talking about the ryanair story actually had ushin cochlin from friends of the earth on talking about the climate impact of it so i think that's the first time i've seen that ryanair story actually with a climate even though it was just a one-liner at least there was some climate implication So what he's saying, like, he's just referencing how that growth of the business is going to impact our... Yeah, I mean, it's basically basically making the point that if we we can't continue to keep flying, I mean, we have to to start reducing demand for flying if we're to tackle our um, emissions. Yeah, which is really the crux of it, because listening to you guys there talking about biofuel and hydrogen, I mean, I have a brief understanding of what they are, but... Once you get, like what you're saying, Tom, once you get into the stats, that's where I'm like, what? And I get phased out of the conversation because I'm like, I don't really know what these things are. Like, I can't actually give you a definition. But really, the point that we need to take away from it is not what kind of fuel we need to be using. It's like we actually just need to change, reduce our flying habits, change our behaviours. Reduce our demand. Yeah, yeah, which is basically, I would assume, something we can apply, a logic we can apply to every one of those businesses on that list. We need to be yes. looking yeah, at absolutely. different, yeah, reducing. Okay. The other thing we can do is look at how some businesses are subsidised. So mm-hmm. um, the Irish government has recently, uh, if you book a ferry to the UK or to France, it will give you a, a, a small discount if you're doing a short trip, which is a huge difference because ferries are quite expensive. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the aviation industry is massively subsidised by our government. Yeah. We issued something like $250 million in tax revenue, um, in 2020 alone, just from aviation fuel. So if we char- start to change it, at the moment the problem is the price of a, a plane ticket isn't actually the cost of the plane ticket. No, and as yeah. soon as we start to change that, I think people will start to see uh, this isn't the best option, as mm-hmm. well as the you know being transparent about the carbon. I mean, there's been a huge amount of greenwashing there for years. Anytime you book a plane ticket, would you like to offset the emissions yeah. of yeah. this flight? Um, and people, you know, it still seems compelling or people aren't told that this is greenwashing. So there's a lot that needs to change, really. And even, it's usually like a euro or something to offset, isn't it? Like that, yeah. the the cons or the idea that you could just do all of that damage with the euro, even like it separates you even more from, you know, the damage that it's doing. Yeah, completely. And that's not a criticism. I still fly, but... <laughs> um, you know, it is that, yeah, just on the greenwashing element, it's just kind of giving you that idea that this isn't that big. You know, you have such a big association between the damage and the cost of something and a euro just totally kind of breaks Yeah, so down Ryanair will give a euro of your money to yeah. donate to a good cause as a as an offsetting. And then probably, and then take, I'm sure, I'm assuming take the credit for it, even though yeah. they haven't done anything. Okay, well, we move on to our second story. So those companies we were talking about were part of the emissions trading system, which is a carbon market. And the second story is about a different kind of carbon market. So it's a market in whale poop. I mean, seriously, I I read the story during the week and 
it boggled my mind, I have to say. Um, so this came up in the Financial Times, or not, yeah, it was the Financial Times, and what they are talking about is how whales could become carbon-based assets. Right, Just that's... stop and think about that for a minute. Um, so the, the FT reported that whale poo could be environmental gold dust. Not exactly how I would have described it, and I imagine probably a bit bigger than dust, but, you know, there you go. Um, so the, the, the story is about taking the whales, great whales, which are the large ones, and looking at them as carbon storage vehicles. And also then as they poop and as they go into the ocean, they are um, helping phytoplankton Phytoplankton are little tiny organisms in the water that produce more than half of the world's oxygen and they also suck CO2 out of the atmosphere as much by some estimates as four Amazon rainforests. So the whales, if we've got more whales, we've got more phytoplankton and therefore more carbon removal. So some genius came up with this great idea that instead to protect the whales... Well, we could just say, let's protect the whales and save them from extinction. But even better, let's turn them into a valuable and tradable financial asset, because that's what whales should be, right? And, you know, we, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about economists last week. We haven't mentioned them yet this week, but guess what? Guess who came up with this brilliant idea? Farmers. No, it was an economist. <laughs> and they're trying to work out, this economist is trying to work out the monetary value of great whales and their carbon capture services. So, Anna, I had sensing a little bit of, um, what's the word? Like a little bit of exasperation at this story. Would that be correct? <laughs> I think that's an underestimate. I think it's more disgust. And why exactly? Because, you know, on the face of it, they're just trying to come up with solutions to a very real problem. You know, we have this problem that we need to reduce our carbon. This seems to be, um, this seems to be a good resolution. What exactly is, is it a moral issue you have with this? Well, okay, I will declare up front, I love whales. I do love them um, <gasps> and I've always loved them. But apart from that, I'm like... There are some things I believe you cannot turn into financial assets. Yeah, It's like, you know, treating people as financial assets, which, of course, the financial markets do. But, I mean, the idea that great whales, which are one of the most amazing organisms on this planet, that we have already... The reason that they are... Um, the reason that their numbers have gone down so much is because we were bloody well hunting them for oil before we discovered fossil oil. Um, and the, the, the idea that we would even think about turning them into financial assets and a carbon market is just, it's just, I have to think of a good enough word. It's, it's you know, it's disgusting. It's, yeah, disgusting and exasperating and yeah, upsetting. And, and just more of the same of what has gotten us to this point. I had made a note looking at this story. Um, you you kind of mentioned there that, you know, it was an economist that came up with this, um, which I find interesting because over the last few year or two, I've kind of been trying to dip my toe into the world of economics and understand what it is and how it works. So I made a note to myself, not hashtag, not all economists, let's get it going. <laughs> um, because 
the what I have is this kind of thinking is represented representative of capitalist economists or free market economists, which I want to do a free a few term checks there because it's not something that rolls off my tongue easily, and I'm sure there's a few listeners that would be in the same situation. <coughs> Excuse me. So capitalism refers to an economic system in which the means of production, distribution and exchange are privately owned and operated for profit. So it's based on the idea that the free market with limited government in intervention will allocate resources efficiently and create wealth. So in this case, that would be the whales. Let's turn the whale into a resource rather than yeah. leave it be a living being as what it is. And let's use it to create wealth. So then another term worth explaining is, uh, and Tom, you're the perfect man to have in board for this conversation, <coughs> excuse me, is neoliberalism, which is a set of economic policies and ideas that emphasise free markets, privatisation, deregula deregulation and globalisation. So that, uh, neoliberalism advocates for reducing government intervention in the economy and increasing the role of the private sector, which is essentially what we're seeing happening here so you know when i when i say the hashtag not all economists not i mean basically that not all economists buy into this idea of commoditizing um, or commodifying whales and turning them into like a financial product but in this case this is what's happening but it, it is worth noting that you know there is other ideas that people can buy into and there is other ways of viewing the world so that's my just kind of def in defense of economists <laughs> they're <laughs> no, not all bad <laughs> no you're exactly right and like this is an example of ultimate neoliberalism if you ask me um like you know th the financial times does note that there's some issues with this like for example you'd have to assign ownership of the animals so who owns whales <clears throat> and like they're migratory animals they swim past many countries some of them swim from like pole to pole almost so who owns the whales um you know, and like, it's, yeah. There's one aspect it completely leaves out, which is what we're seeing is increased ocean acidification. Yeah. So while it talks about the idea, the, the money, so one aspect it says is the money they'll be put in to save, you know, to commodify these whales will be put into their conservation. But their natural habitat is in decline. So, so we're going to see, you know, you can try and conserve these things, but if they're dying out because of the climate crisis, it doesn't really matter what you do. Uh, one aspect I thought that was interesting as well is we're starting with whales, but, you know, we often talk about the value of the Amazon rainforest or we talk about the value of other animals within an ecosystem. So we're not valuing nature, we're commodifying it. And mm -hmm. at, at what point yeah. do you stop? Do you look at the, you know, is a is a panda worth four euros? Is, yeah. is a cat worth a euro? But also then in that context, what I thought was really interesting is what's the what's the carbon value of a human? Yeah. Because obviously what you're doing here is taking the economic value of a whale and dividing it or timesing it by the amount of carbon good that it's doing. I probably argue that that we would be in negative value, so your system would crash. It's this weird sort of crypto bro approach to, you know, we'll commodify something and we'll try and work out the the actual trading aspect of it later. Yeah, and it sort of ties in really with that idea that we're seeing of geoengineering or terraforming. Sure, we can we can solve the climate crisis by putting dispersants in the air to to reflect solar radiation or. Uh, we'll flood this part of the the desert and that will create new green land. And we have the answer, which is just stop consuming and stop polluting. These, these yeah. are much easier solutions than trying to 
commodify a whale or <laughs> whatever else you might of, be. You know, it, to even just casually say, let's monetize the great whales, it's just offensive. Mm. It, it's just an offensive concept, I think. And, and they did, they put in a rough value on the, of a great whale at two and a half to three million dollars over their 60-year lifespan. Um, and that's based on the value of the carbon absorbed and sequestered in its body. I assume as humans, we're sequestering carbon in our bodies as well. So, so maybe the heavier you are, the more carbon you're sequestering. So it could be, you know, an argument for not going on a diet, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Interestingly, I, uh, on that note, as someone who, who should lose a bit of weight, it's, <laughs> it's the, um, the whales drop to the bottom of the ocean. So the, the carbon storage is over, I think, centuries for, for a single whale. Whereas obviously for us, we're typically buried quite close to the surface. Or there's actually a really interesting set of papers talking about the role of cremation in the climate Yeah, cremation is pretty bad from an environmental point of view, yeah. But I don't want to bum too many people out on a Friday about <laughs> uh, about that aspect. But I, I think one aspect that is really interesting about this whale story as well is it comes at a time when there is a renewed call for ecocide laws. So the, the idea of making an international law which says crimes against nature are as equal as crimes against humans. Yeah. So the idea of sort of uh, effectively having nature rights in the same way as human rights. And I think the idea of further commodifying things and further going down that neoliberalism route is completely at odds with the idea of actually, no, we need to stop. We need to start protecting things and we need to have these ecocide laws that are going to lead to progress. And uh, I wonder if this is that interesting tension that as ecocide comes more to the fore and hopefully is going to cross the line. These are the options that are sort of last desperate gasps on the other side. Yeah, I mean, it almost read as a parody, actually, that whole article. I mean, I was almost like pinching myself going, is it April Fool's Day here or what? Because, um, you know, and like the, the line in it where the economist Fullenkamp, her name was, said, if we put our heads together, there's this new pie, this new asset class that didn't exist before from which revenues could flow. And she's talking about whales and whale poop. Whale poop as a new pie of our asset class. If you ask me, it's a load of shite. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really goes back to what Michael G was saying the other week, wasn't it? Like there's just this huge focus where with this capitalist mindset, this neoliberal mindset, if we can just change, and there is other options. That's the point I was yeah. trying to make. Like there are economists that are offering up other solutions, other ways of thinking, other systems that we can buy into but we need to do that you know together yep. versus kind of a group of us focusing on the old way and uh trying to come up with solutions that fit into that old way of thinking and that got us into this problem in the first place well said kira okay well we move on from the whales and hopefully leave them alone um go to our news roundup any other do stories it. catching our eye this week there's a fascinating report that came out about uh, methane leaks in Turkmenistan. So it's talking about the number of methane leaks from just the two biggest fossil fuel fields in Turkmenistan. So just those two fields produced as much global heating in 2022 as the entire UK over that whole year. It's a wow. really fascinating report from The Guardian. They actually funded the investigation themselves, so it really shows the value of good climate journalism here. Um, and methane, methane is still that 
greenhouse gas that we sort of still avoid talking about. You know, it's responsible for half of short-term climate warming. It's this massive, massive problem. And actually, I'd really recommend that people go and look at some of the other Guardian reports on this. They've done a huge amount of reporting on, on methane leaks recently. So in the US alone, in 2022, just one leak accounted for as, as much pollution as 67 million cars. Wow. This is a huge, huge issue. And... There's some good news here too. Um, the US and the EU are looking to implement new, new legislation. So the US is looking at um, introducing um, reductions of around 55% on methane leaks, while the EU is looking at legislation to cut methane emissions by 30% based on 2020 levels. So there is some good news, but this really is a story about maintaining fossil fuel infrastructure. As long as we maintain that system, there are going to be massive methane leaks and there's going to be a huge climate implication as a result. But up until recently, they didn't know where the methane was coming from. And it's with the new satellite technology has been able to actually identify those fields. So Turkmenistan, I'm not sure I could find it on a map. Um, but I know it's on the Caspian Sea. And I would bet you there's big oil companies making a lot of money out of Turkmenistan. And the government there is as well. But but just the amount of emissions that they are that is coming out of those fields is massive. It's great to see, isn't it? It's great to see, Kira, it is. <laughs> Those neoliberal economists In would be delighted. In this capitalist society, good. <laughs> growth for growth. Were there there's any stories that struck you? Oh, sorry, Tom, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, there's even aspects of it closer to home. So one of the one of the things that we keep seeing is a lot of oil companies abandon oil wells at the end of this. If they transfer the business to another business, to a shell company, what you see is that that company's gone out of business, they can no longer shut down the well responsibly, and then the taxpayer has to step in and cap these wells, because if they don't, they're creating vast methane emissions. So there's a... There's a real impact, not only from a climate perspective for you and I, but also a financial Lost. perspective yeah. too. So, yeah. All right. Kira, any stories grabbing your attention this week? Yes. So following off from the back of last week, uh, there's more extreme weather. Surprise, surprise. So there was more than 400 um, people who died in floods in Congo. Um, Alberta, Canada is burning. 30,000 people have been evacuated over there. And an April Mediterranean heat wave would have been almost impossible without the climate crisis. So the positive that I'm taking from that is at least we're not all making this up. <laughs> that is an interesting positive twist on that story, all right. Um, but I'm sure you'd be happy to know too that there's a student Occupy movement going on across Europe, Kira. This is the kind of thing you like, where um, students have been occupying schools and universities across Europe in protest. Uh, unfortunately, in the UK, protesters have been thrown into prison, but across Europe, they're occupying um, and protesting and trying to kind of trying to get back to where it was in 2019 with the climate strikes and, and get that momentum back. So it's good to see that. Yeah, I'll take it. And then today in Ireland, as we are recording, there's a big announcement for offshore wind energy. The government is setting the price for developers and getting some of those projects launched. So I think that's mostly positive. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, more yeah. wind, more wind now. <laughs> more wind, more wind now, yes. Um, and actually on that front, um, for the first time ever, our neighbouring island of Britain, um, almost a third of their electricity was supplied from wind power for the first time ever in the first three months of this year. And um, it's the first time wind power has actually been higher than gas on the UK grid. So That's good. 
Yeah, yeah, let's hope that's a trend in the right direction. So maybe we should finish on that because it's a slightly positive note. As Hashtag any- wind is trending. Get that going on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag I've actually just news. remembered that last night, Anna, <laughs> oh, I yes, dreamt Kira. I was going for a walk. I don't know why this has reminded me. Um, there's a, a, a nice walk over in Portumna and I think that's where my dream was. Do you know what, this, sure is gonna put, this is going to put a negative spin on the on the podcast, but I'm going to tell it anyway. And I was going for a walk with one of the other people who's involved in the podcast, and she and I were looking, and the next thing, all of these bogs started just streaming down, landsliding, and I was like, oh no, Anna's right, the bogs are falling. <laughs> and I don't know why that's just reminded me of that, but it has. So, yeah, oh, there. Kira, I'm so sorry to be giving you nightmares. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was but dreaming also, of you. <laughs> but also, can you check your temperature when you get finished, because you sound a bit delirious. Yeah, I think She's so. going to be dreaming of millionaire whales tonight with monocles and top hats. And <laughs> ah, there's so much poo. It'll be whale poop rolling down the hill at you. I'm so um, rich. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we lose the plot altogether, um, any recommended actions for this week? I have I'm gonna, one. I'm going to take some strong drugs. Okay, that sounds good. I'm to clear up my cold. <laughs> to clear up my <laughs> I'm suggesting we should all go whale watching. Go sit on a oh, headland somewhere that. and look out for whales. Or, you know, make a donation to Save the Whales. We'll put a link in the show notes if anybody who's offended by that story as much as I was. Um, Any other recommendations or ideas? It's no more May. Go out, be in your garden, go and engage with nature, go and have fun. It doesn't have to be whale watching and sort of massive mammals. We can go and enjoy the butterflies, the bees, everything else that's out at the moment and just enjoy Irish nature for what it is. No it's really May precious is good. we need it. Yeah. So do nothing and except enjoy it. Brilliant. My action for the week is go and follow Irish EVs on Twitter. They're a great account and Tom puts so much work into it. So he deserves a shout out. Absolutely. And well done on Thank the um, Greenwashing Awards, Tom. Important stories there. Thank you. It's a, a desperate cry <laughs> to, to call people to arms. I think we need to do something about greenwashing. And um, ultimately, I think we need legislation to protect people because... I think what we're seeing with the Greenwashing Awards is people are, feel a little bit lost and a little bit helpless to tackle greenwashing and this feels like an outlet and, and yeah. really what we need is legislation. Yeah, very good. Well done you for taking that on. That's it for this week and we all survived just about. Um, if you enjoyed tuning in, please share the podcast with someone you think would like to join this climate conversation. And if you haven't already, take a moment to rate and review the podcast because it really helps us to reach more listeners, assuming you give us a good review, of course. So, um, but please do that. And then just a reminder that we do love to get your comments on buymeacoffee.com slash the climate alarm. And if you want to even buy us a coffee, we would really appreciate that as well because we are doing this completely voluntarily and on a shoestring. Um, So if you'd like to support the work, we'd really appreciate it. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much, Tom, for... um, for joining us and thank you Kira as always thank you Anna and Dara if you're listening which you better be get well soon okay (laughs) we need you back get well soon Dara get well soon Dara it's like it's like there's a team player missing from the team that's my (laughs) soccer analogy in place of his (laughs) oh good we got sports analogy in well done Kira (laughs) 